This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. The subject today is when you are discouraged. In the 42nd Psalm, we read the words of one who fit that description to a T. The psalmist asks the question, why am I discouraged? Well, there are many reasons why we get discouraged, but what can we do about it? Today's sermon addresses that question, and then with the help of the Bible, we can hopefully find the answer. Join with us now as we let God speak to us when we have days of discouragement. In the 42nd Psalm, we read the words of a person who is really down in the dumps, as we would say. The King James Version of the fifth verse goes like this. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? In the contemporary English version, a paraphrase, those words go like this. Why am I discouraged? Why am I restless? Here is a question from the Bible that most of us have asked many times. We all have to face all sorts of things in our lives, and not the least of these problems is this matter of discouragement. Three times in Psalms 42 and 43, the psalmist asks these questions, identical questions. One reason for these feelings may be because we think that we are inadequate to meet the tasks that are in front of us. We feel inferior, unable to meet the challenges, and so we shy away in fear, restlessness, or even discouragement. Once there was a young boy who nearly drowned. As a result of this near-death experience, he would never again go swimming or would not even go near the water. He used such phrases as, oh, that's over my head, or this is too deep for me, or if I tried that, I would really be sunk. There are many people who adopt this failure attitude toward life, and so they are cast down. Now, we must admit that there are times when it's perfectly normal for a person to feel downcast and disquieted. Our emotions can be like the tides. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Rising and falling feelings of happiness or sadness are common to us all. One person described what he said were his worst ups and downs, getting up in the morning and down to work. But these normal fluctuations in life are not what bother us ordinarily. It's when we are cast down and can't seem to rise again. A pilot who made his living flying jet airplanes once said that the greatest danger in pulling out of a dive was that of blacking out. When our spirits are diving downward, it is sometimes easy for us to black out instead of pull out. So what do we do? Or what can we do when we have those feelings of discouragement like the psalmist described? Let me suggest just three simple things that could help us. I say simple, but it seems that when burdens overwhelm us, they are anything but simple. First is this, never forget that you are important. 
no person is useless in God's sight. I remember the days many years ago when young girls used to dye their hair of various colors to be distinctive or to be noticed or to be somebody. Now we see so many different hair colors, purple, green, blue, chartreuse, and whatever else. There's no longer distinctive, it seems. In the words of the eighth Psalm, we're told that mankind was made a little lower than the angels and that we are crowned with glory and honor. That phrase, a little lower than the angels, has been confusing to many people. A better translation says that we are made a little lower than you yourself. That means just a little bit lower than deity. Because of who we are as God's created human beings, he has put us in a very high position and we can well afford to believe in ourselves. No, we're not little gods, but in God's sight, we are very important. A second thing to remember is that you are always needed. Never forget that you're needed. There is a work on this earth that will not be done unless you do it. Someone has given us what is called a parable for the birds. I think it makes a lot of sense. It goes like this. All the birds of the world were blessed with beautiful voices so they could sing praises to their heavenly father. One day the lark thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if all the birds could form a choir? What beautiful music we could make to give honor and praise to our creator. So first he went to the great eagle the eagle looked down his beak and said, I travel in circles that add prestige to my name. I doubt that your choir would add to my fame. Well, the lark was disappointed, but he knew that the eagle was indeed busy with important affairs. Perhaps someday he would feel that the choir was important too. And so next, the lark visited the peacock. Surely any bird so endowed by God would be glad to share in his adoration. The peacock gracefully preened his feathers and said, I would love to sing, but those plain, simple robes? How could anyone see my latest fashion mode? Well, the lark continued to look for somebody to sing. He flew by the pine tree and there he saw the owl. Certainly a bird so wise would know to give thanks to God. But the owl replied, Who? Who? I'll study and think about it. I'll see and let you know later. Well, the lark was tired by this time and stopped by a pool for a drink. There he saw the gentle swan and he asked her to sing in the heavenly bird choir. She tucked her head under her wing, saying, Oh my, I'm so shy, I'd just die. I won't even try. Just then, a parrot flew into a nearby tree. And when the lark asked him to join the choir, the parrot replied, Join the choir, join the choir, join the choir. That's all I hear, join the choir. Then the lark heard the beautiful nightingale singing. Here is one who appreciates music and what it can mean to others as they worship, the lark thought. 
The nightingale smiled sweetly at the lark and said, Yes, I love to sing, but with a group? No, I sing only if it's strictly solo. As the lark looked around, the dodo flew by, backwards of course, remarking, I still remember the good old days. When things get better than these days, I'll sing a song of praise. A soft rustle in a nearby bush caught the lark's attention. Looking closely, he saw the small gray sparrow and gave his usual invitation to join the choir, to which the sparrow replied, Well, I don't sing very well, and I don't know a whole lot, but if you'll lead me, I'll give it all I've got. And the sparrow hurried off to enlist his friends also for the heavenly choir. I wonder if this is why the eagle still flies in great circles, screeching for attention. I wonder if this is why the peacock struts and preens, very conscious of self. I wonder if this is why the swan doesn't make a sound until it's too late to matter. I wonder if this is why the parrot waits to be told what to say, or why the dodo is now recorded only as a fact in the pages of the past, an extinct bird. I wonder if this is why his eye is on the sparrow. Yes, in God's great plan, we are all needed by someone you may have no husband, no wife, or a close relative to whom you can be a blessing. Some people are in this situation, and oftentimes we look at them and say they are so lonely. And they are often. Perhaps you've heard the old story of a woman, a widow, who was approached one day by a person who was trying to console her. This friend thought that this widow must be very lonely. But the lady brustled up and said to her, Lonely? Oh, no, not me. Yes, I have lost my husband, that's true, but now I live with four men. That's right, she said. Every morning I wake up with Charlie Horse. I eat lunch every day with Arthur Ritus. I spend all my days with Will Power, and I go to bed every night with Ben Gay. <laughs> Finally, there's one other thing that we should all remember when we have those downcast days. This is really the most important of all. Hope thou in God. This is what the psalmist said to do. In turbulent times, we can rise above the storm and see the presence of God all around us. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord, the Bible says. I don't fly in airplanes much nowadays unless it's absolutely necessary, but I do recall former times when I have been on a commercial flight and the pilot comes over to the intercom to announce to the passengers, we are now entering a slight turbulence, so we will now rise above the storm. Well, as far as I'm concerned, there's no such thing as a slight turbulence, not when I'm on an airplane. But it is reassuring to know that the pilot is in control and I can place my security in his hands. How much more can we rest assured that when we're in God's hands, all is well? 
This is what Jesus did when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He knew that the cross was just before him, but he also knew that all things were in the Father's hands. And he had a peace, a peace that passed the understanding of this world. During these days when we can trust very little of what we see or read or hear in the news, and when what we get by emails is best dealt with by pushing the delete button, yet I received a short time ago a message from one of our regular worshipers here at Ocean Lakes. This message was rather lengthy, but I think you'll appreciate my passing this on to you this morning. It's entitled, God Lives Under the Bed. These are the words of that email. I envy Kevin. My brother Kevin thinks God lives under his bed. At least that's what I heard him say one night. He was praying out loud in his dark bedroom, and I stopped to listen. Are you there, God? He said. Where are you? Oh, I see, under the bed. I giggled softly and went to my room. Kevin's unique perspectives are often a source of amusement. But that night something else lingered long after the humor. I realized for the first time the very different world Kevin lives in. He was born 30 years ago, mentally disabled as a result of difficulties during labor. Apart from his size, and he's six foot two, there are very few ways in which he is an adult also, however. He reasons and communicates with the capabilities of a seven-year-old, and he always will. He'll probably always believe that God lives under his bed and that Santa Claus is the one who fills the space under our Christmas tree and that airplanes stay in the sky because angels carry them. I wondered if Kevin realizes he's different. Is he ever dissatisfied with his monotonous life? Up before dawn each day, off to work at a workshop for the disabled, home to walk our cocker spaniel, return to eat his favorite macaroni and cheese for dinner, and later to bed. The only variation is the, in the entire scheme is laundry when he hovers over the washing machine excitedly like a mother with her newborn child. He does not seem dissatisfied. He lopes out to the bus every morning at 7.05, eager for a day of simple work. He wrings his hands excitedly while the water boils on the stove before dinner, and he stays up late twice a week to gather our dirty laundry for his next day's laundry chores. And Saturdays, oh, the bliss of Saturdays. That's the day my dad takes Kevin to the airport to have a soft drink and watch the planes land and take off. He speculates loudly on the destination of each plane. That one's going to Chicago, Kevin shouts as he claps his hands. His anticipation is so great he can hardly sleep on Friday nights. So goes his world of daily rituals and weekend field trips. He doesn't know what it means to be discontent. His life is simple. He will never know the entanglements of wealth or power 
or care what brand of clothing he's wearing. His needs have always been met, and he never worries that one day they may not be. His hands are diligent. Kevin is never so happy as when he's working. When he unloads the dishwasher or vacuums the carpet, his heart is completely in it. He does not shrink from a job when it is begun, and he does not leave a job until it is finished. When his tasks are done, Kevin knows how to relax. He's not obsessed with his work or the work of others. His heart is pure. He believes everyone tells the truth. Promises must be kept. And when you're wrong, you apologize instead of argue. Free from pride and unconcerned with appearances, Kevin is not afraid to cry when he's hurt, angry, or sorry. He's always sincere and he always trusts God. Not confined by intellectual reasoning when he comes to Christ, he comes as a child. Kevin seems to know God, to be really friends with God in a way that is difficult for an educated person to grasp. God seems like his closest companions. In my moments of doubt and frustration with my Christianity, I envy the security that Kevin has in his faith. It is then that I'm most willing to admit that he has some divine knowledge that rises above my mortal questions. It is then that I realize that perhaps he is not the one with the handicap. I am. My obligations, my fear, my pride, my circumstances, they all become disabilities when I do not trust them to God's care. Who knows if Kevin comprehends, comprehends things I can never learn. After all, he's spent his whole life in innocence, praying after dark and soaking up the goodness and the love of God. One day, when the mysteries of heaven are opened and we're all amazed at how close God really is to our hearts, I'll realize that God heard the simple prayers of a boy who believed that God lived under his bed. Kevin won't be surprised at all. When you and I have fears, doubts, discouragements, times of feeling downcast, we can have that peace also from the one who we know, whom we know as the Prince of Peace. Someone said it this way, Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered, and no one was there. Listen again to the words of the psalmist. Why am I discouraged? Why am I restless? I trust you, Lord, and I will praise you again because you help me and you are my God. Oh God, help us to let the words of the psalmist be our own prayer and to know that whatever comes our way, you are right there with us and you're going to help us to get through whatever it is that we face. We thank you so much, O oh God, for revealing yourself and your son Jesus, through whom we can have life abundant and eternal. It's in his wonderful name that we pray. Amen.